Hello and welcome to My Chaotic Mind, the podcast dealing with the everyday difficulties of balancing adult life and eating disorder recovery. My name is Kaz and I shall be your host in this little corner of the podcasting world. It's important to mention I have no background or training in medicine, nutrition or psychology. I simply have my own very many years of lived experience. That said, if you're sitting comfortably, it's time to come with me through the looking glass. Welcome back to My Chaotic Mind. For this episode, I thought I would invite a special guest to join me. So, may I introduce my mum? Hello. So, in this episode, I thought I would have a discussion with just my mum in the hope it may be helpful to other mothers out there around the topic specifically of anorexia. So, mum, prepare to be grilled. Okay. Before I was diagnosed, what did you know about anorexia? Virtually nothing at all. I don't think it had ever come into my sphere in any way. My first knowledge of the actual illness would have been when you had a school friend who suffered from it. And at that time, I understood that she had great difficulty in eating and that she had had hospital stays. But more than that, I really didn't have any kind of understanding. I think the perception at the time was that this wasn't actually a mental illness, but it was something that was caused by magazine articles, by girls' perceptions of their image. Um, And possibly, you know, linked to things that were seen in magazines or to fashions at the time. So really very, very limited understanding at all. The time period that mum is talking about was during the 90s. And if you were around then, I'm sure you remember the constant barrage of images that the media were churning out on a daily basis to do with female celebrities in particular and their bodies. How has your relationship with food been throughout your life? Now, when you suggested that you might be asking me this question, my immediate reaction was, oh, has that been absolutely fine? I've never had any problems. But then I started to think about it and I would say that my relationship with food has not always been a healthy one. 
Um, I remember as a girl going to school, I was never able to eat breakfast. And the times my mum used to say to me, couldn't you just have a slice of toast? And no, no, I'm not hungry. I'm going to school. And in thinking about it, I realised that before I went to school in the mornings, I was always very anxious. And anxiety has always been a, a big factor that has affected my appetite. So once I got to school and I got into the rhythm of the day, everything settled down. And yes, by lunchtime, I was absolutely ravenous. But that pattern existed virtually throughout my school years. I don't think I ever ate breakfast. And that actually continued into my working life. In thinking about my relationship with food too, I realised that when it came to major stressful events, my appetite and ability to eat was very, very seriously impacted. For example, when my father died and my mother died, I found that for several days, I wasn't able to get any food down at all. And eventually, once the initial shock of the, the event had passed, my appetite would then start to return. But that has always been a pattern for me. The other thing that I thought about in thinking about my first answer was that as a teenager, I was very much caught up in the early 70s where I was going on holiday with my friends. We were reading magazines like Jackie. We, we looked at Vogue. Um, and body image was terribly important to us. So, for example... My best friend and I went on holiday to Bournemouth and I can remember looking at her. She was the tall, beautiful blonde um, in the stunning white bikini and I was this tiny little slim but hourglass shaped with a slightly rounded tum, which was a bit of an issue to me. And if I'm honest, has been an issue to me for the rest of my life. Images of models like Twiggy figured very, very strongly in young teenagers' psyche at that time. So it seemed that everyone that you spoke to was on a diet. I certainly remember times when you were actually physically sick from anxiety. So it wasn't just that you couldn't eat. Even when you tried, you were actually physically sick with it. Yes. Um, there have been several stressful occasions in life where 
the anxiety has become so overwhelming that when I've actually tried to put food into my body, my body has just completely rejected it. And so I would say that that has gone hand in hand, anxiety, lack of appetite and being sick in many events in the course of my life. It's worth mentioning though that that is very much an involuntary response to the anxiety. You never actually had any kind of eating disorder. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's never been a time where I deliberately made myself sick. Um, it was something over which I had no control. It was a, a physical, visceral reaction to very stressful situations. I can't ever recall a time in my life as a child or as an adult where I have known you to be on a diet or watching what you eat. I was aware that you weren't entirely comfortable with the shape of your stomach area, but it's not something that I ever felt you fixated on or constantly brought up and I wasn't aware of you having any sort of negative attitude towards your body or your body shape. You weren't extremely self-critical or focusing on things like weight, calories, food. So I certainly don't feel you had any sort of negative influence on how I perceive my body. It was nothing to do with my body and all to do with stress and emotion. Um, when I had something that was particularly stressful. And these episodes were big occasions. You know, the losing of your parents is a major time in your life. So I think we've talked about you for quite long enough now, Mum. Let's get back to me. Absolutely. Um, how did you find out I had an eating disorder? Um, well, I would say that it started with veiled hints um, from the dinner ladies um, at school. And they were telling me that you weren't coming in for meals or when you came in, you were only having <laughs> Now, at the time when I spoke to you about it, you always had a very reasonable explanation for that being the case. You had been on prefect duty, you had been attending a drama, rehearsal. So because you were coming home um, at night and at dinner time and at weekends, um, you were sitting at the table with us all enjoying pizza. Um, it was quite difficult to actually see that there was anything wrong. There was an unease growing um, you were dropping hints, which I understand were hints, but in such an oblique way at the time, I didn't pick up on it. So 
I remember one occasion where you said to me, I can't possibly be anorexic, Mum. I love pizza far too much. And if I had really stopped to think about it, that should have been a clue to me. Something is going on here. That wasn't actually me hinting to you that I had a problem. I do remember an instance where one of my grandmothers had commented on my eating and said something along the lines of, oh, be careful, we don't want you ending up anorexic. And I said, oh, I'll never be anorexic, I love chocolate too much. So I, it was my defence mechanism to, tr to try and turn it into a joke and... So you wouldn't focus on, well, could she? Could she have anorexia? Could there be a problem here? So it wasn't so much that I was hinting, I was trying to divert. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you perceived it differently. In hindsight, I've been perceiving it differently. But now, in having much greater experience of the illness, I do understand how very secretive and how um, very cleverly the illness can disguise and divert, as you have said. So I recognise that that could well have been your intention at the time. And then we had got to your 18th birthday and I was watching you dancing with your friends and thinking, hmm, Caroline is really, really very, very slim. And one of our oldest friends of my generation who was at the party did actually mention it to me. And then the next morning I happened to be walking past the bathroom at a time when you were actually making yourself sick. And all of a sudden, all sorts of little things fell into place and I thought, there's a problem here. But I had no idea of the scale of the problem. That was just the start. I will say that any time we watched a television programme that featured eating disorders, because Mum and I would quite often watch television together, mm -hmm. um, I would be really quite anxious in case you maybe saw something on the programme and linked it to me or, or something that I was doing. And yet, at that point, I didn't. Um, I wish I had. <laughs> but I also want to go back to when you mentioned that evenings and weekends I was sitting down and having a meal with the family. I did not start making myself sick until I was 17. So certainly during the period you're talking about, most of the time the food that I was eating, I was eating. Um, I wasn't hiding it or purging it. I know that that isn't the case. 
So it's not as if there were any big red flags that I think you were missing. The signs, I would say, would have been very, very subtle. I think I did a pretty good job of hiding how difficult it was for me to eat those meals. And I do remember a sense of dread when I knew I was going to have to eat meals over school holidays and at weekends with the family. I desperately wanted to hide from everyone the fact that I was trying to lose weight and the extremes I was going to in order to try and achieve that. I can remember on your 17th birthday, um, I was taking you and a friend to see a musical in London. And before you left, you actually went out together and with hindsight that had been after lunch and birthday cake and I wondered looking back on it now if that might have been the time where you started getting rid of food. No I can't remember exactly when it was but it it definitely wasn't then. I'd been 17 for quite a while. So What was your reaction or how did you feel when you found out? Oh, it was hard to take in. And my initial reaction was, you're too balanced to have anything like this. Um, I also felt, I would think I would describe it as, the stages of grief. I was angry. Um, I grieved for the person who was my daughter and all that she may lose out on now that she had this illness. Um, Frightened because by that stage, um, we were beginning to hear reports on the news about the sensational cases where the illness had taken people's lives. There was publicity around it being the mental illness with the highest mortality rate. So it was a huge range of emotion that was bouncing about from one place to the other. Coupled with that was an overwhelming sense of guilt that I'd let you down. In working um, as part of a carers group, um, the one thing that we realised was the enormous burden of guilt that those parents feel. What did I do that caused this? How could I have let this happen? Because as a parent, the whole focus on your life and bringing up your children is to keep them safe and well. And yet, you have been lacking. 
and it has only been in working with the team, in working on different strategies, learning as much as I could about the illness, that I have come to realise that that guilt is misplaced and it, it stands in the way of helping the person to recover. It really is a major hindrance. I was also utterly desperate to make you well. And so I would say that I panicked. Um, I was leaping from pillar to post, trying to find strategies behaviours, you know, perhaps if I say this, it will jolt her into realisation. Or perhaps if I do this lovely thing and make her feel better, it will help it to go away. And of course, we were at the start of an extremely long journey and these strategies really weren't going to be helpful at all. At that time too, there was a huge focus on other people's perceptions because those who have never experienced this kind of illness are very, very quick to judge. I think they're quick to judge the sufferer and I think they're quick to judge the parents of the sufferer as well. And that added to the, the feelings of inadequacy having let you down. Um, and there was definitely a sense of what on earth are people going to think of us that we have let this happen to you. If you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you first found out about my illness, what would you tell yourself? First of all, I would say stay calm, stop panicking and don't carry the guilt. It doesn't help. What I would say is be more forceful in getting help. Because I didn't understand enough about the illness and about the severity of it and how the illness is like another personality existing with my daughter, I really didn't know how to react to it. I found that once I started to research myself, to learn as much as I could about the illness and not be fobbed off, doctors themselves have very little training and often don't know as much about the illness as parents eventually do. And what I would say is push to have those referrals 
don't let them say you'll grow, grow out of it. It's only a phase. We'll monitor them for a little while. Really stay in there. In dealing with your loved one, I would say definitely be patient and understand this is an illness. And when anorexia is screaming in your child's head and that really antagonistic look comes into your child's eyes, they are really ready to fight with you. Understand that that is the illness and you're not dealing with your child at that point. So instead of allowing things to flare up, perhaps ask questions and explore and stop trying to tell them what they should and shouldn't be doing and should and shouldn't be thinking and should and shouldn't be feeling because it's totally counterproductive. What message or advice would you like to give to other mums whose child has a long-term eating disorder? I would say first and foremost that there is a book specifically designed to help people who care for youngsters and older people suffering from this illness. And I would recommend it. It's skills-based learning and it's based on the new Maudsley technique. And for years, that was my bedside reading and my go-to book when I just didn't know what on earth to do next. Apart from that, I would say never give up hope. As long as your loved one is living and breathing, that person is still inside. I will make sure to put a link to that book in the show notes in case you want to check that out for yourself. I would like to thank my mum for joining me for this very open and honest discussion. And I would like to thank you for listening. I hope that you will come back for the next episode and I'm going to hand over to my mum for the final words of this week. Mum, what would you like to say to anyone listening who perhaps doesn't have much maternal support? I would say that the journey to recovery will probably be a little bit harder, but not impossible. What you're up against is the fact that while you may well be desperate for help, your anorexia will be trying to sabotage you at every moment. And it's really, really hard for you to ask for help, but it's not impossible. If you can find 
yourself in there when the anorexic bully is screaming its head off and find enough to say, I am me, I am worthy and I need help. Keep repeating it and try to reach out to friends, to services like BEAT, to the medical profession and keep reiterating the mantra, I am worthy. Don't let the voice completely subsume you. If you can find anywhere that you can get some support, you are starting on that journey that will help you edge little by little towards recovery. Thank you for listening to this episode of My Chaotic Mind. If you have enjoyed it, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to rate, review and share it with your friends. It's the only way to let the world know this podcast exists. If you want to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at edpodcast or you can send an email to edpodcast at gmail.com. I do hope that you will join me for the next episode, but until then, take care. Bye.